0: Well, God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you again today. Thank you so much for coming. And we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 29? We're in chapter 29 again today, gonna finish up that chapter. That's where we're going to be, and as you know, we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video, just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about all things new, and I know that that was the title of last week's message, But this is part two. This is the final part of our All Things New message that we started last week. And today we're going to be in the last part of Genesis 29. Now we've been looking at the life of Yaakov, Jacob as you would say in English. Yaakov in English, Bivrit in in Hebrew. And uh, last week we saw that the Lord had appeared to Yaakov. And since that time, Yaakov has been a new man. He's no longer a con man, no, he's God's man. He's no longer a deceiver and a liar, now he's a man of integrity, he's a man of truth. He's no longer looking for what he can get away with in life, no, now he's looking just to do the right thing, no matter what it costs him. Before, his life was all about himself, but now his life is all about his relationship with God. He knows that God is there watching him. And today we're continuing to look at Yaakov's new life in Genesis 29. But to do this today, we're going to actually backtrack about two verses from where we were last week, and we're going to start actually in verse 19. Even though we finished last week on verse 20, we're going to start at 19 so it'll refresh your memory about what was going on at that time before we get into the rest of the verses. So if we read together in verse 19, it says, And Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. In verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and it seemed only like a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. This is when the girls all go, aw. And then verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. In other words, that I, I may consummate my marriage, that I may have sexual relations with her, and she will officially become my wife. Verse 22, And Laban gathered together all the men of the place, and they made a feast. Verse 23 then says, Now it came to pass in the evening that he, Laban, took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Yaakov. And he went into her. He thought it was Rachel, you see. In verse 24, And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. Then in verse 25 we read, So it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. Jacob wakes up and he sees that this person that he had been sleeping with and had sexual relations with that night, it wasn't Rachel at all. It was Rachel's older sister, Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel, Rachel, that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said in verse 26, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. If you fulfill her week though, the marriage week, we will give you this one also, meaning Rachel or Rachel also for the service for which you will serve me still another seven years." Now, we look and see what happens, and we see that, of course, Yaakov used to be the con man. He was the guy that stole the blessing from his brother Esau by lying to his father, Isaac, that telling him he was Esau instead of who he was, Yaakov. And so he was a con man. And he actually sold uh, a, a bowl of soup to keep his brother from fainting and required his brother to give him his birthright, that he would get more inheritance than anyone born younger than him, you see. So he was quite the con man. He was all in it for himself, trying to get everything that he could for himself. It was all about himself. He was a selfish young man. And he tried to do all of these things. But since he met the Lord along the way on his way to this land of Padanaram, where he was going to see Laban and his relatives and, and stay out there for a while so that his brother Esau would not be able to kill him. He left for a while until Esau's anger cooled off from Yaakov stealing his blessing from his father, Isaac, And so along the way, God appeared to him. Remember, he appeared to him in that dream at night. And ever since the Lord appeared to Yaakov, he's been a changed man. He's no longer thinking about deceiving people, no longer thinking about lying to people. But here he comes to this place. He falls in love with Rachel and he makes a deal with Laban. He says, I'll work for you seven years for your daughter Rachel to be my wife. And Laban agreed. Uh, make no mistake about it, there was, there was no ambiguity. I mean, you couldn't interpret it any other way. Laban did agree. But then the night of the wedding, it was customary for the bride to be covered all the way from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet so that the husband could discover his bride. And in the darkness of the night, Laban brought Leah into uh, the area there where uh, Jacob was <clears throat> and she lay down and Jacob thought it was Rachel and he had sexual relations with her then the next morning when the light was up remember they didn't have fluorescent bulbs or you know uh, any of these things back then they didn't have flashlights or anything it was dark when it was dark and that was the time to go to sleep and you worked during the day but nighttime that was the time for sleep and so At at that time when Yaakov was expecting Rachel to be brought to his tent, or to his dwelling there, Laban deceived him and brought his older daughter Leah instead. Yaakov didn't fall in love with Leah. He fell in love with Rachel. He didn't make a deal with Laban about Leah. No, he made a deal with Laban about his daughter Rachel. And they both agreed... And it was in plain black and white. There they understood what the deal was. And Laban is now changing the deal. And we see that Laban is a person of deception. He's the con man now. And Yaakov, who used to be the con man, well, now he's the victim. And he's seen what it feels like to be conned and to be taken advantage of and to be deceived and to be lied to. You see the deception of Laban trying to steal seven more years of labor from Yaakov because he sees how much he loves his daughter, Rachel. And even though Yaakov has already worked for seven years, thinking he was working seven years to get Rachel as his wife, and they both had agreed that that would be the case, that would be the deal, now he's having to work seven more years. What was that? That was just Laban being deceptive and stealing seven more years from Jacob and taking advantage of him. Now remember that even though back home, Jacob was very wealthy, and he had a wonderful place to stay, and hundreds and hundreds of people around his family to serve them, and everything was beautiful, and the herds and the flocks that they had, they were extremely wealthy. But along this trip, he didn't bring any of that. He didn't have any of that. He was running for his life, trying to get away from his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him for having stolen his blessing from his father Yitzchak. Jacob didn't have any wealth to give Laban. He didn't have any money, didn't have any riches to give him to trade for Rachel. In other words, he didn't have any dowry to give for his potential wife in Rachel. He didn't have people with him to protect him. He was all alone, didn't have any of his wealth, didn't have any of the power that he had back at his home. All he could offer for himself was himself. The only thing he had to offer for Rachel to be his wife was himself and his labor that he would offer for Laban. So he had nothing to negotiate with, that's what I'm saying. He had nothing else to use as a dowry to give for the woman that he loved And wanted to be his wife. So he gave himself. Sound familiar? The Lord gave himself that we might be his bride. And he might bring us to himself. That where he is, there we may be also with him. Yaakov gave himself. That's all he had to give. He gave himself and he had to labor all those years. And now it's going to be 14 years. But after observing the wedding, so-called wedding that he had with Leah... For the one week of observance in that wedding, Laban gave him Rachel, but then with Jacob's word that he would labor there with Laban for another seven years. Now before, Yaakov might have said, okay, I'll labor with you for seven more years. And after the first day, he might have taken his wife Rachel and left. But remember, now he's not a liar anymore. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of truth, and that matters. If you're not a man of truth, how can you even believe who you yourself are? Your whole life is a lie. Everything's a lie. It's just make-believe. And you're the one who knows it better than anyone else. Better to be a man of truth, better to be a woman of truth, than to live the life of a lie. It's better to know that you can go to sleep at night and that you did the right thing during the day, Then to go to sleep at night and have to think about all the people that you deceived and lied to to get what you wanted to get, to get to where you wanted to get to. Those things will not give you any rest at night. But living a true life, a life of truth and integrity, you'll find rest in your heart and rest for your soul. But there was nothing Jacob could do about this. He worked another seven years to get Rachel as his wife. And there was also nothing that Jacob needed to do, you see, because now he realized that God was with him. Jacob would soon see that though he had nothing to give, soon God would bless him far more than he could have ever imagined. Yaakov is now feeling that same pain that he used to cause other people. And I think sometimes that God allows a person, even after they've come to the Lord, even after God has made them into a new person, God will allow them to experience some of the things that they did to other people in the past so that they can understand the heart of God. So they can understand what it feels like to feel that pain when someone else deceives you when someone else lies to you before Yaakov was the con man he was the liar now he's a man of integrity a man of God and Laban his relative is the con man Laban is the liar and now Yaakov is the victim of the lies and deception he's now feeling the pain that He used to cause others to feel. But yet God does that, not to get even with Yaakov. He doesn't do it to get even with us, but He does it because we need to understand what's going on and what pain we cause other people so that we will understand the heart of God and not want to inflict that pain on other people again. You know, think of this. When you're a little child and you're born into this world, it takes time to learn the language that you hear your parents speaking. You don't learn those words and sentences really quickly. You hear that same word over and over again a few times. You hear it in context. You see how it's used when people talk in conversations. And then over time, after you've heard it enough, you understand what it means. Well, in the same way, God sometimes allows us to continue going through the things that we used to do wrong so that we will feel bad about them so that we will be the victim and see other people do us wrong in the same way and we will understand what it feels like and then we will not want to ever do that again to somebody else because we know, we now know what it feels like. So we go on and read in verse 28, continuing now, And says, then Yaakov did so and fulfilled her week, Leah's week, from that wedding that they had. That unofficial wedding, if you will. But nonetheless, they had sexual relations. He was now married to her. And so it says that Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, as a wife also, in verse 28. Then verse 29, and Laban gave his maid, Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. That was customary when the father gave away a daughter in marriage that he would give one of the maid servants to accompany his daughter to serve her and help her get established in marriage and to take care of all the things that the wife would be concerned with. And so he gave Bilhah as the maid servant to his daughter Rachel at the time when he gave Rachel to Yaakov. And then it says that in verse 30, Yaakov also went in to Rachel. Now, that simply means they they had sexual relations. But then look at what it says in the last part of verse 30. And he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. That tells me right there Yaakov was a man of integrity. He was an honorable man. He told Yaakov that he was going to serve another seven years. Just give me Rachel, your daughter is my wife, and I'll serve you another seven years. And he did what he said he would do. Too many people today make a promise. They make a commitment, and they take it so lightly that they never really are concerned with doing what they said they would do. Be a man, be a woman who does what they say that they're going to do and people will respect you. Even if you feel like you shouldn't have committed to it and you're not going to be as well off because you committed to it, still be a person of integrity. Go ahead and do it. Don't worry about how you're going to recover from it. God will bless you for doing the right thing. Then it says, Jacob went into Rachel in verse 30. And he also loved Raquel more than Leah. Now that's a little awkward, isn't it? And you see, that's why polygamy, having more than one wife, that's why it never works out. You're going to love one more than the other. In fact, you're gonna give all of your love to the one that you love the most. And the others, not so much, you see. I see different cultures like the Mormon culture where one man might have two or three or four wives I heard about the man who a Mormon man who had one wife who was a doctor one wife who was a lawyer another wife who was a housewife and then another wife which was just the one that he wanted to have fun and go through life with well he probably thought he had it made I don't think so you know if you've ever made one wife upset with you, you've got problems. If you make four wives upset with you, hmm, I don't know how you're going to work that out. It's better to be the husband of one wife. It's better to be the wife of one husband. Dedicate your love to each other. Be people of integrity. When you say, I do, you mean it. When you say you'll be there with them till death do you part, you mean it. Just because she did something that you don't like, just because he does this habit that you don't like, you don't get up and change your husband like you change your clothes. You don't get up and change your wife like you change the food that you eat. That person becomes part of you. You're joined together. The two, it says in the book of Genesis, I said better God said the two are made into one flesh. You can't tear away half of your flesh and not feel the pain. But if you've been through that, you know what I mean. And even then God can heal you later. But it was not meant to be that way. But what God has joined together, let not man tear apart. But it says that Yaakov loved Rachel more than Leah and he served with Laban another seven years. Now we see that Yaakov is letting God fight his battles for him. Laban did him wrong, but Yaakov understands that God is the invisible guest there. He's the one who hears the words of Laban and he hears the words of Yaakov as Yaakov and Laban are talking. He's right there with them, the invisible guest watching over him like God promised him he would be when the Lord appeared to him on the way there and he was sleeping out in the dirt, had his head on that rock, using that rock as a pillow. And God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. Now Yaakov knows the one who is there with him. The invisible guest who's watching over him, the maker of heaven and earth. Yaakov does whatever he has to do to win his wife to himself. Just like the Son of God did whatever he had to do to win us to himself and to rescue us from the sin that was going to destroy us. Now, we read in verse 31, then continuing, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. He's saying that Neither one of them was having children. But when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he had pity on her. He opened her womb and she could have babies. But Rachel was not having any babies. Then verse 32, So Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben. Now I want you to pay particular attention to these names. You may think we're just closing up the chapter here. There's a whole nother message in these names. It says, So Leah conceived and bore a son, in verse 32, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. You see what she said? You see, I've told you before that in Hebrew, names mean something. That's why when you have a baby, you don't name that child until the eighth day on the date of the uh, Brit Milah. Brit Milah is how we say in Hebrew, circumcision on the eighth day. You name that baby. Well, why on the eighth day? Well, you've had seven days, eight days at that point to see what that child is like. See a little bit of personality start to emerge. See what that child is like, and then you are inspired to name that child from what you see. And so she named this one from what she was going through, and she says, this one's going to be named Reuben. Because the Lord has surely looked on my affliction, now therefore my husband will love me. Now the first thing you notice in these last verses is that God notices that Leah is unloved. And that breaks God's heart. The Tanakh says that he's a husband to the widow, he's a father to the orphan, he has a tender heart and he seeks to comfort and heal the brokenhearted and the outcast. After all, it's not Leah's fault that her father Laban used her to get Yaakov, to trick Yaakov to working for him for seven additional years. She was a victim in this, just like Yaakov was, by the way. He had been lied to as well. They were both victims, and this was all orchestrated and put together by this deceptive man, this liar named Laban. But as God would watch over Yaakov, He would also watch over Leah, and He would comfort her in this situation as well. Now look at the name she gave her sons because they tell a story. This first verse that we just read, she named him Reuben. What does that mean? (laughs) She named him Reuben because she said, now God sees the situation I'm in. Well, it turns out that the word in Hebrew for see is roe. I would say ani roe. Ani roe Yochanan. I I see John. Ani roe Brenda. I see Brenda. Okay, ani roe Okay, I see this. I see that roe. Well, it turns out that the O letter in the Hebrew alphabet, which is how we say alphabet, Hebrew or in Hebrew, the O can also be pronounced as oo or a U sound. You see, as a long U sound. So roe. Is the word for sea, like I see. A guy would say, Ani Roe, I see. But now she's saying that Ru Ben. Well, Ru is just a form of the A, because the O can sound like a U. So it's Ru is c and Ben is son. It's a Hebrew word for Ben. You say the word Benjamin. I work with people named Ben or Benjamin. I have friends in, in Israel named Benjamin. I have friends named Benjamin. Some go by Ben, but it's short for Benjamin. Benjamin is how you would say it in English, Benjamin Ivrit or in Hebrew. And Benjamin means son, Ben, Yamin, son of my right hand. In other words, the son of the wife whom I love, the one who is my right hand. The son of my right hand. That's where the word Benjamin, or Benjamin, comes from. But now Reuben is C Ben. And it's basically, see, I've got a son. See, a son. I couldn't have babies before. Rachel, my sister, couldn't have babies. But now I have a son. I'm unloved by my husband. He loves my sister Rachel instead of me. But perhaps now... I have a son, so he will love me for giving him a son. That's what she's saying. So his name is Si, Son, Reuben. Reuben. It comes from the word Lerot, to see in Hebrew, b So now that U sound in there, Reuben, and we see that that's the name that she gives her firstborn son. But it's interesting what she says after that son is born. She says, now... My son, now my, now my husband will be attracted to me. It's not her fault. She's the victim. He's the victim. But look at what she said in verse 32. The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. He's given me a son. See, a son. And she's, she's hoping that her husband will see the son and now be attracted to her and love her. That's not the case. He fell in love with Rachel. It was Laban who put Leah and Jacob together in deception and lies, and they're both hurting from it. But Leah is all alone. At least Yaakov has Rachel. But Leah's all alone, and she's outcast and the Lord sees her broken heart, and that breaks the Lord's heart as well. So God is going to watch over Leah. And in verse 33, it says that then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I'm not loved, he has given me this son also. And so she named him. Now, your Bible says Simeon or Simon. Simon. That's how you would say it in English. <clears throat> I've mentioned to you before that the S in Hebrew can have a tiny little dot over the letter for the S, and if the dot is on the right side, it's pronounced as Sh. But if the dot is over the letter on the left side, it's pronounced as S. So the same letter can either be Sh or Sa. It turns out the Hebrew name for your English, Simeon or Simon, is actually sh instead of Si. So it comes out that it's Shimon. And the accent for 90% of the words in Hebrew is on the last syllable. So if you take it off of Simon, the first syllable, and put it on the last, on that O-N, then you'll pronounce it with that sh sound as Shimon. Shimon. Maybe you remember the famous Israeli po- politician who was the president. Of Israel for many years. Not the prime minister. But the president. Who was a ceremonial position. As president in Israel. But his name was Shimon Peres. And Shimon Peres. Was a very respectable man. Shimon is how you'd say Simon. Well here's why I'm saying that. Because Shimon. Is actually taken from the word. For hear. Or listen or hear. From Hebrew. If I would say Lishmoah be of read. If I were to say Lishmoa, a Hebrew word in Hebrew, Lishmoa, you hear you see that SH sound in the S H M O Lish Moa, then that's the same sort of letters and root that's used in Shimon or Simon, as you would say it in English. So she says, I'm going to name this child Shimon, That's how it would be said in Hebrew instead of Simon in English. I'm going to name this child Shimon because the Lord has heard that I'm unloved. Sometimes you hear on the taxis and everything, you're riding in a taxi in Israel, and Tel Aviv, and you hear the people on the dispatch desk calling to the taxi and they say, Abi, Abi, Shimon, Shimech, Shimech, are you listening? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? And so uh, they're saying, uh, Shemeach, they're basically saying, can you hear me? But you see that same sound, shome. So it's like Shimon, Shimon, taken from the same root there. So now Leah has said, I have a second child, a second son, and it just proves that the Lord has heard me. So I'm going to name him, in honor of the Lord hearing me, I'm going to name him Shimon taken from the word, meaning to hear. What Leah is saying is that God has heard her, that he knows what's happening to her. She knows that God is there watching her, that God sees her. Remember Reuben, taken from the word see, a son. And now Shimon, taken from the word to hear, the Lord has heard me. And so now verse 34, she continues. It says, she conceived again and bore a son. And said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him now three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi, Levi as you would say in Anglit, Beanglit in English. We have Anglit means English, Ivrit means Hebrew. So Beanglit, Shemo, or his name is Levi, uh, Levi. Ivrit Levi. Okay, and it means attached. Now, this is now the third son. We need to talk about this. It would be easy to just casually read over these last few verses about Leah and her sons and just go on to the next chapter. Just view them as kind of a, a genealogy, if you will. But I want you to notice something here. Notice the names that these three sons have. Let's look at them one, and one, one by one. We know from later on in the Bible that certain things happened to these sons. Reuben turns out that he slept with his father's concubine later in life. and In Genesis 35 verse 22, you're going to see that. He sinned and he went and slept with his father's concubine, which was kind of like an unofficial wife that his father had. He slept with his father's unofficial wife and that was a sin of lust. He lusted for her and he slept with her. Shimon, his brother, later on in the scriptures, has a sin of anger. And he killed all of these people in Shechem, this town, where, of course, Dinah, or Dinah, his sister, had been raped and abused. And in his anger, he went into all that town with another of his brothers and they killed all of these men after they convinced them to be circumcised and while they're all laying there in pain they went in and slew them all with the sword that was in genesis 34 verse 25 through 31 and then in genesis 49 5 when yaakov is now old and called israel and he's on his deathbed and he's blessing his sons the blessing for shimon wasn't good he said in your anger you killed these people He says, you know, cursed be your anger. And so basically, Yaakov is talking about his son. I don't know if he said cursed, you know, but he, he was unpleased at his son's anger that he had killed all of these people when he got angry. So the first son, Reuben, becomes one who exemplifies the sin of lust from laying and having sexual relations with his father's unofficial wife, his father's concubine. Shimon, this second son that Leah had, later is going to have the sin of anger and kill a whole town full of people. Genesis 34, Genesis 49, 5, we read about it again, spoken of from Jacob And Levi, what about Levi, that third son? Well, the law came through Moses. Moshe Hanavi, Moses the prophet. Moses was a Levite. Levi becomes the great grandfather of Moses and Aaron. So they are of the Levites because they're the great grandchildren of Levi, who is the third son now of Leah. So the law came through Moses. He was a Levite. The Levites administered the law. The law was a school teacher to bring us to the Messiah to show man that he was not able to keep the law perfectly by his own righteousness, to show man that he needed a Savior, that he could only be forgiven through the mercy of God. By believing on that Savior, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, HaMashiach, okay? And so we see the three sons now that we're talking about in these last few verses. And it's so tempting, isn't it? Just to read over it, just to go ahead and get into the next chapter, chapter 30. But then you read over them and she's got a son named Reuben. She's got a son named Shimon. She's got a son named Levi. But I'm here to tell you, there's more to it than just the genealogy. It tells a story. Reuben, later going to be in the sin of lust. The lust of the flesh. His brother Shimon that we're talking about today, later going to be in the sin of anger and killing, murdering people. And then Levi, through whom the law came through Moshe, his great-grandson later, and that law would show man that he's not able to keep the law or be righteous by keeping the law because he's always going to fail. So Reuben, the sin of lust, Shimon, the sin of anger. Levi, the law can't save you because you can't keep the law all the time 24-7, 365.242 days per year. You can't do it. No one has ever done it except for the Son of God who became a man and lived among us. That he would qualify to be a sacrifice. So Reuben, the sin of lust... Shimon, the sin of anger, exemplifying the sin of mankind in general, all the sins of lust, all the sins of anger, all of these evil things that man thinks about, all these evil things that man does. Levy, the giving of the law, showing man what God expects of them, convincing man that they are not perfect and they're not capable of keeping the law to be saved, all to set them up and to make them know that they need the mercy of God to be saved. You can never be righteous enough on your own. Hayehudim yehudim sheli. ha sheli. Listen to what I'm saying. You cannot be righteous enough on your own. You need a Savior. And that's what the Mashiach is for. That's why he's called the Anointed One. That's what Mashiach means. And by believing on that Mashiach, the Chosen One of God, He will be the atonement for your sins. And only by believing in Him will your sins be forgiven. No other way. And God will not forget your sins unless you believe on the One who's taken the place of your sins and taken your sins upon Himself. God will not ignore them. He will not forget them. He's just and He has to judge sin. And He says in the Tanakh, in the Torah, That he will judge sin. It also says, Vaikra, Vasepha Vaikra in the book of Leviticus, that the blood is given you for atonement for your sins on the altar. You don't have the temple anymore. The temple is where the sacrifices were made. It was the blood of the sacrifices that would forgive the sins every year. Only for one year, not for permanently. You don't have the temple anymore. There's no more blood anymore. What are you doing for forgiveness of sins? What are you doing about your sin? Trying to do the best you can? Trying to live the best kind of life you can? Trying to Maybe you name the, uh, your prayers after the sacrifice names that were in the temple when the temple stood? You're making up your own rules as you go. You're not obeying God's rules. And your rules are not going to save you. Only God's rules will save you. The reason why he gave you the law was you would understand and admit and humble yourself before God and admit that you need His mercy, that you can't make it by keeping the law at all times, that you just fail over and over again. If you fail in one part, then you're guilty of not keeping the law. It's like you failed in all parts. You're a transgressor. You're a transgressor against the law. You've done wrong. Even though you failed in one part, you hadn't Failed maybe in all the other parts, but maybe give it another day and you'll fail in some of those as well. Sin has to be judged and God says he will judge sin. He told uh, Yehezkel Hanavi, Ezekiel the prophet, he said, The soul that sins, it shall die. Period. There's a period there. What are you going to do about your sins? What are you going to do about your sins? There's no sacrifice with blood in the temple. You have sin, be honest. you telling me you don't have sin? (laughs) Well, that's lying right there. That's another sin to add on the list. We all have sin. In fact, the book of Psalms says twice, the book of Isaiah says it again, that God looked all throughout the earth to see if there were any righteous, any that sought Him all the time. And it says in all of those situations He found none, no, not one. You see, we've all sinned we've all fallen short of the glory of god and it's only through the mercy of god and him sending his mashiach yeshua and his atoning blood that we can be saved and just like when it's talking about in pesach god said when i see the blood when i see the blood on the doorpost of your house i will pass over that house in judgment that wasn't just a story for then that was showing what God was going to do later when He would send His Messiah. And so now today He says, when I see the blood of my blemished free lamb on the doorpost of your heart, I will pass over you in judgment because your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been atoned for, not once for the year, but once forevermore because He made atonement for your sins, not only in this place on earth, but in the temple in heaven, after which pattern Moses was commanded to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. You know what I'm talking about, my religious Jewish brothers and sisters. Yehudim datim. You know what I'm saying. This is the Tanakh. Torah, You know what it says. You know what it means. Let the peace of God give light to your heart today. Now, also notice something else. All of these first three names were about their mother. What am I saying? Well, Leah was talking about her story. Woe unto me. God has seen my dilemma. God has heard about my dilemma. Now my husband is attached to me. It's about me, me, me. And yes, she was a victim, but all of those names had to do with her situation and the trials that she was going through. She was trying to win approval in each one of these things by something she had done. See, I made a son. Now my husband will love me. Oh, look, God heard me. I've got another son. Now my, son, now my husband will love me. Uh, look, I've got a third son now. Now he'll be attached to me. But I want you to notice something, what happens next. Look at the very next verse in verse 35, the last verse that we'll talk about today. It says, and she conceived again and bore a son. Now look at what she says this time. And said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Judah. And then she stopped bearing children. Did you see that? After all of her attempts to win approval from her own efforts, her own understanding, she finally gives all of her cares to the Lord. She finally understands what's really important in life is her relationship with God. He's the one who will guide her in life. He's the one who will protect her in life. He's the one who loves her. He's the one who cares for her. He is all she needs. The Lord is all she needs and the Lord is all we need. And so she names her son, this time, Judah, which has nothing to do with her dilemma, has nothing to do with the situation about her husband loving her. She's turning her eyes off of men and she's turning her eyes and putting them onto God. It's no longer about what she's done or what she needs. It's about what God has done. It's about what God is doing. It's about what God will do. And notice that after the sins of lust, Reuben, and after the sins of anger, Shimon, and after the failures of the flesh to keep God's law and levy, all of those things, they come down to Judah. Nothing else works but praise to God for what He has done in Jesus Christ. Praise to God for His mercy. And yes, it was from the tribe of Judah that the Lion of Judah would come. As prophesied in Genesis 49, verse 8 through 10. and Revelation 5, verse 5, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Mighty One who would come and gain salvation for us. It all comes from Judah, from praising God. Not from our own efforts, but from praising God. He's the one from whom salvation comes. And God brings His salvation through His atoning sacrifice, as spoken of in Yeshayahu Hanavi V'chamishim V'shalosh, Isaiah chapter 53. That all who believe on Him will be saved, and find rest for their souls, as promised by God in John 3.16, by Brit Chadashah in the New Testament. Judah, praise, praise to God. So now you see, you can give your life to the Lord. And He'll bring true peace to it. Lasting peace. The praise and God's efforts will cause true peace to enter in your heart. All those other things you've tried aren't going to work. Only His atoning sacrifice will give you peace. Lasting peace. You can leave that life of worry and stress and fear. You can start living life trusting God to care for you. And when you spend time in His light praising Him, all the cares of this world will simply fade away in the light of His grace and glory when your life is in His hands. Now, why don't you give your life to Him today, right now? You could call out to Him and He'll hear that cry and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from the darkness you're in, that situation that you're facing. And He'll shine His light on your heart. And you'll be given new life. He'll change you into a new person. It'll all be made new. And He'll throw away all those past failures. You'll be made completely guilt-free, completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. And that's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your own life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent his one and only son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You can repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'll tell you something. God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that He's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.